I paid someone to develop it. It took a year and a half. The whole thing was a complete disastrous mess. I didn't even launch it, didn't even tell anyone I was building it. Welcome to Two Sided, the Marketplace Podcast, brought to you by ShareTribe. Hi, I'm Stuart, CMO at ShareTribe, and I am your host. For this episode, I spoke to another James, James Younger this time, from Canada, who is a dentist and runs a marketplace for temporary dental hygienists and assistants. A really interesting story, definitely some parallels to episode four of last season when we spoke to Charles Armitage of Florence, a temporary nursing marketplace. And in fact, James had listened to that episode and got some interesting ideas out of it. In exchange, James now shares some very insightful stories from his own journey, how he initially paid a company a lot of money, waited one and a half years, and then threw it all in the garbage, how he went on a learning journey of full-stack web development, UI, UX design, etc., just to enable him to communicate what he had in his mind to developers, how he first constrained and then expanded the marketplace in actually an unexpected way, really interesting tool that they built called the gardener that allows them to keep quality in a growing marketplace, especially important, of course, in such a high trust industry as dentistry, how they plan to scale North America and how he financed this from the get go, and actually much, much more. So take a deep breath, zoom in and listen to my conversation with James Younger from Tempstars. Hi, James. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Stuart. How are you? I'm really thrilled to be on here. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. Actually, you are, I think, the first guest who reached out personally to appear on the guest. So I think this sent something about the reach of the podcast. And uh, after hearing your story, I'm super psyched to have this conversation. So let's just get going. Sure. What we always do is to give people uh, an idea of who's talking so that people can put this information in the right context. So before we dive into the marketplace and all the cool things you have done for uh, Tempstars, could you tell us a little bit about who is James Younger? Yeah, absolutely. I've been a practicing dentist for a little over 21 years now and love dentistry. I've owned a couple of great dental practices and, and have really enjoyed it. And so I'm still currently practicing dentistry one day a week because I just genuinely love uh, clinical dentistry. I love treating patients. And so I work one day a week out of actually a, a mental health hospital and I treat patients with, with mental health challenges there. And that kind of keeps me uh, in the clinical setting, which I love. And then for the rest of the time, I run Tempstars and it's been sort of like that for the last five years or so. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoy the profession of dentistry, the clinical aspect of dentistry, loved owning and dental practices, leading team, that kind of thing. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. So uh, prior to uh, Tempstars, you were just a, a regular dentist or... Yeah, that's right. Yep. General dentist. I one pra My first practice, I started from scratch. And then I had another practice and I had purchased that from a dentist who was, who was moving on from there. And even prior to that, I mean, the years before that, I'd worked as an associate dentist at various dental practices and that sort of thing. But yeah, general dentistry in general. But also, I really like the more complicated high-end dentistry of implants and bone grafting and sinus lifts and veneers mm -hmm. and things like that. So I really do enjoy the clinical aspect. Hmm. Could you tell us uh, a little bit about what is Tempstars then? Yeah, so Tempstars is, is a two-sided marketplace platform. And in the 
two sides of the marketplace. We have dental offices who want uh, either hygieni dental hygienists or dental assistants for short-term or short-notice shifts, so temping. And then the other value proposition we have is hiring. So if a dental office is looking to hire a hygienist, dental assistant, associate dentist, or admin receptionist, we have sort of a, a job board type of system for that. And then on the other side of it is you know, we have dental hygienists and assistants who are looking to pick up temping shifts on short notice, short term basis. And also we have a lot of hygienist assistants, associate dentists and admin receptionists who might want to get hired permanently at offices. So we we sort of offer those two value propositions of temping and hiring mm -hmm. for connecting dental offices with available dental professionals. And so how this is, could you talk us through how this led into uh, Tempstars? Because I guess at one point you had the idea. Could you tell us a little bit about that phase, at which point this started to come up as an idea? Yeah, like it really happened kind of organically where back in 2015, there was a uh, maybe about a month where I was constantly a little bit behind the ball where I needed a dental hygienist very short notice. So I had somebody on the team who multiple times I was kind of getting text messages at four in the morning saying, I can't come to work. And I had patients booked for eight in the morning. And it was really stressful because I didn't mm -hmm. know, should I drive to the office at seven in the morning and get on the phone myself to cancel patients and things like that. And there are currently, and there were traditional agencies that kind of worked office hours were a bit unpredictable and that sort of thing. And I just thought there has to be a way I can do this on my phone where I can connect directly with available hygienists. And at the time, I was only thinking hygienists because that was my problem. But at the time, being from just outside of Toronto, Uber had not come to Toronto. So when I had this idea and I was bouncing it off people, they said, oh, that so is it like Uber, but for dental office? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what Uber is. Mm -hmm. But if you say it's like that, then I guess it's sort of like that. And it was really, I didn't know anything about technology, anything about apps. I literally went to a Staples and I got grid paper and pencil crayons and started mm -hmm. drawing phone screens with arrows and things like that. And uh, yeah. and the idea just really gripped me. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'd wake up in the morning with a pen and pad beside my bed, writing down ideas and things like that. And and that's kind of where it the idea came from. All right. Yeah, that's clear. So you mentioned uh, you got the idea. You couldn't stop thinking about it. You had this pen and paper next to your bed. Did you do anything to sort of validate the idea prior? Like you, you made some drawings. How did you validate the idea? So I did what I think is very common and also a very common mistake where I took my sketches and I found a essentially a full stack development house based out of Utah. And I said to, I took my, I showed them my drawings and said, could you build this? And they said, sure, we mm -hmm. can build this. Now, without going too deeply into it, looking back, that was a recipe for disaster because I didn't even know what I wanted. I didn't know what it should look like or how it should work or anything like that. So I will just tell you that this is not the right path to go, but this is the path I went where I paid someone to develop it. It took a year and a half. The whole thing was a complete disastrous mess. I didn't even launch it, didn't even tell anyone I was building it. Okay. And then but I knew that it was going to be a mess about two thirds of the way through. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I started educating myself. I took full stack web development course, UI UX design course, digital marketing courses, rapid prototyping courses, things like that. Not so that I could build it myself, but I knew that I needed the communication tools to talk to development professionals to bring it to life mm -hmm. the way that I was actually envisioning it. Yeah. And as I learned all those things, I realized all the gaps in even what I even understood about bringing an app to market. Mm -hmm. And so after that first development company, so I threw out all the code, I built mm -hmm. my own prototype. I took it to a one full stack developer. And in, instead of a year and a half, the first person, that next person built it in 
six weeks. Oh, wow. And and at least I had an MVP at that point. And so when you're asking about validating the idea, it was sort of like I had to go through all of those things just to get an MVP of a first working version that I wanted to show to somebody. And yeah. then the validation came from a small group of dentists that I knew, a small group of hygienists that I knew, and just gave it, to, you know, said, can you install this and try it out and that sort of thing. So I did some things right in that it wasn't a sudden giant big public launch as though, oh, it's ready yeah. and the world should use it. I knew enough at that point to do very small soft launches and get the feedback and the learning early on without kind of losing the social currency of doing a big public launch on something that really still needed a lot of work. Yeah. 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 So it took you about, let's say, a year and a half on the initial one and then six weeks on the on the, yeah. the second version roughly. Right. And then, um, so how was feedback or uh, early on? Well, Feedback early on was bad, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a really uh, voracious reader and learner. And so mm -hmm. at that point, I also knew feedback should be bad. And I'm a big <laughs> fan of that saying of, you know, if you're not cringing and slightly embarrassed at your first release, you waited too long to release. Yeah. So I was prepared for that. And it was more like I was releasing a conversation piece and a feedback mechanism than hoping that people loved it. Yeah. And so early on, it was just, oh, this thing's, you know, not good. And I'd say, okay, well, what's the worst part about it? What's the main thing that is the worst? And so we kept just going back and iterating and changing and changing. And it, we did about nine months of that mm -hmm. before the feedback shifted to say, oh, this thing's actually really good. But what if it did this? And what if it did that? And, and so we're still just on a really tight, continuous development loop. Mm -hmm. I think it took me maybe 20 updates before I finally stopped thinking it was done. Because okay. every release, I think, oh, finally, it's done. Yeah. Oh, good. It's out there. We can just get it out there. We're done. We don't need to develop <laughs> yeah. it anymore. But yeah. 20, you go through that 20 times, you realize, okay, this is never, ever going to be done. Yeah, welcome to software development, I guess. Like yeah, that, exactly. is, that is how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, so early on, I mean, this is the question that I always put there because like I think this is just such a universal law, but did you constrain the marketplace in, in any kind of way? Like whether that's like geographically or or through category. I mean, category I guess we've covered somewhat because it's mostly hygienist, I initially I understood. Yeah, exactly. But geographically? Essentially, yeah. And and it's funny at the time. And from 2015 to now, the science and art and mechanisms of two-sided marketplaces are better known than they were at the time. So to ask if I constrain the marketplace, I did for sure, but I never thought of it as purposefully constraining the marketplace as a strategy or intent. Mm -hmm. I just thought, well, I need temp hygienists. That's a real problem. I live around Toronto. I'll do a small launch around Toronto. So initially, it was only temping and only hygienists and only in around the Toronto, the city of Toronto. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to trying to read and learn about things as I was doing. And I had read about the case about OpenTable. OpenTable tried to launch too broadly early on, too many cities. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they realized they had to dial it back and do hyper-local launches to get the network effect going. And so I sort of, at least even at that time, had a, an appreciation for that, that I didn't make the mistake of just saying, okay, now we have an app that goes across the country yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, of course, often, like, I think with many of these lessons that are like, you know, they are retroactively uh, pontificated as like, oh, these are the laws. Right. But this seems to be like, a recurring theme that even the bigger ones that people just forget that Uber, Airbnb, everybody started like very like much much smaller scale than than right. now, now is the norm. Yeah. So you mentioned with the MVP that you sent that to some friendly dentists, and I guess you also knew a temporary hygienist or two. Uh, but how did you onboard the early uh, supply and demand? Yeah, and again, and this is all just really finding my way in the dark without really knowing the principles and practices of marketplaces at the time. But it turned out, I mean, early on, our bread and butter of go-to to get people to sign up was 
essentially paid Facebook marketing. Okay. And and at the time, they have a few more rules about targeting now for employment-based ads and things like that. But at the time, I would just target the geographic area, target dental hygienists. And I had certainly, I'm huge on A-B testing and multivariant testing. So we really dialed in good images, copy, headlines, things like that until we had a recipe that it was like a magic switch where we would, I would just turn the ad on and we get a bunch of people signing up. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I went in phases where I would get a, maybe 80 hygienists signed up. And then I would stop the marketing because I knew those 80 hygienists were going to use it and they were going to have feedback. Mm-hmm. And so I'd st- we stopped marketing, waited for people to use it for a month, and then worked on the feedback we got and then switched on the marketing again. So we went very stepwise in the scaling up between marketing and product development. We did it very hand in hand, which looking back was, was a great and solid approach to do because we just were able to stay responsive as we got more and more feedback. Yeah. And so you started initially in Toronto. How quickly did you expand? Because I believe now you're across pretty much the entire Canada. How did that expansion go? Yeah, well, at first, so we kind of expanded first service-wise and then geographically. Okay. And so if I'm, I'm trying to think back, and essentially it was first, it was just temping shifts for hygienists. And then that, so that was going well in and around Ontario and mm-hmm. Toronto. And then, of course, dental officers are saying, oh, great work with finding us a hygienist. Do you have any dental mm-hmm. assistance? And then I would say, no, we only do hygienists. And then finally, I got tired of saying no. So then we added dental assistance. And at this point, we had some word of mouth. So it wasn't as hard to get on initial dental assistance as it was for hygienists. But then the assistants come on. And now we're just doing temping hygienists and assistants. But then, of course, dental officers are saying, oh, those are great hygienists and assistants. Thank you. But now we need to hire someone. Can you tell us a good hygienist? And I would say, no, we just do temping. And so I got tired of saying no about that. Okay. And then it was, we had to build a job board because people really wanted that. So then we build out essentially a job board for permanent and contract hiring as opposed to the temping. And so probably around that time is when we started thinking we should probably go into other provinces and offer our service mm-hmm. there. So we started going west across Canada from Ontario west to the provinces out to BC. So our Canadian expansion was more of an ooze than a pounce. It was, you know, we just sort of made our way across. Yeah. And then just this week, we just launched in Pennsylvania, which was our first solid launch into the United States. Okay. We did a very soft launch in Pennsylvania before the COVID shutdown. And of course, that sort of fizzled out. And so now that things are reopening, we're, we're, we're working on. And at least now, as we go into the US markets, we have a much more targeted and focused approach to growing new markets instead of just sort of trying to do it haphazardly as we kind of expanded across Canada. Yeah. And you learned all that from your Canada expansion? Yeah, exactly. We figured out what strategies, just a lot of trial and error, a lot of multivariant testing. And another really uh, important thing that we do as well that we just genuinely care about as a team and me personally is building relationships and supporting dental professionals. Mm -hmm. And so we have Dental Hygiene Graduation Awards, the Tempstars Award of Excellence for a graduating dental hygienist. And I'm on a program advisory board for the colleges and and I speak to graduating classes and things like that. So that just happened to be something I cared about, but helped with our expansion across Canada. Yeah. So of course, we're implementing that because it's a core value of our team, but it mm-hmm. also helps to build relationships and grow our membership as we expand as well. Yeah, because I'm hearing uh, all kinds of parallels with some earlier episodes we've had, especially yeah. uh, uh, to the one uh, with Florence, the UK-based know, yeah. uh, temping agency for uh, nurses. I know, that one really resonated with me. Yeah, uh, I can imagine. That was a great I can episode, imagine. yeah. yeah. And I can tell you that the, I just want to ta- say sure. the idea of the Florence Academy for training the nurses, 
I literally listened to that episode and went home and went on Shopify and spun up the Tempstars Academy for dental hygienists to get their continuing education points. It was a really great episode and it really resonated with me. So I appreciate that. I hope Charles will be uh, listening to this episode because he will be very pleased to hear this, I imagine. Yeah, it was really great. That's terrific. Actually, we haven't touched on, uh, because now you, you, you nicely explained how you grew, let's say, the supply sites, the hygienists, et cetera, yeah. targeted Facebook uh, ads and, and then the good network on your side. How do you grow the dental clinics? Oh, sorry, what's yeah, the Yeah, like the, de- the demand side dental offices. Yeah, Dental offices. Yeah. So how do you grow the yeah. dental offices? Well, so early on, it was uh, some Facebook marketing and some email, really some sometimes mm-hmm. some public Google email scraping of dental practice emails that are just publicly on their websites. Yeah. At this point, especially in Canada, the dental office growth is in we've shut off all marketing to dental offices in Canada because our value proposition to dental offices is, hey, we'll find you a great temporary hygienist when you need one. And as soon as you say that to a dental office, they sign me up. That's what they want. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our our growth and membership focus is building up our supply side of hygienists and dental assistants to make sure that we're building a community and have a consistent membership who's really engaged with what we're doing so that they're available to fulfill the increasing demand of the dental offices. Hmm. And it's, it is one of those spiraling network effects sort of thing where as more and more dental hygienists and dental assistants are with Tempstars and booking shifts with Tempstars, they just end up not being as available for other parallel services. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of a it's a self-reinforcing cycle. And so just more dental offices sign up because they know we have more hygienists and assistants for bookings and things like that. So Mm -hmm. it won't necessarily be that way as we first go into the United States. We'll still have to do a lot of groundwork to build up dental offices and and demand side and things like that. But a big part of our focus is just building community in a sense of, of for our membership for dental assistants and dental hygienists. Yeah. And so while you grow that side, like how I know that uh, also uh, coming from the episode from last year with uh, uh, Florence, I know that in healthcare and related services like dentistry, trust is probably the most important thing. So while you grow that supply side, how do you keep the quality consistent or even like improve the quality over time? Yeah. And, you know, we've done a few strategies with that. And it's interesting because before we launched, there was a lot of imaginary problems that we could run into about what Mm -hmm. if this happened and what if this happened. And some of them we addressed and some of them we just didn't. And what ends up happening is when you finally, you know, we get to the point where we finished tens of thousands of temping shifts. And so Mm -hmm. we have a real, we just have a real world sense of what are the actual things that happen. So if something happens once over 30,000 times, well, one out of 30,000 is not super risky, and we can just manage that type of thing. But if there ends up being a pattern of a problem, then certainly we would address it from the experience standpoint. So we ended up early on, we just managed to find a technical solution to automatically pinging the dental hygienist licensing body to validate their certificates and things like that, and just to ensure that they were licensed. Mm -hmm. As we scale up, we have to rely more more on automation and early signals and triggers. And this is sort of what I had touched on earlier was we now have a neat system, an algorithm that when someone first signs up, we have enough data to draw correlations to early behavior and early signals about Mm -hmm. whether this person is going to be a good fit for Tempstars. So a hygienist, maybe they sign up and the first couple of shifts they do, we get a certain pattern of feedback or a certain pattern of reliability and all of those sorts of things. And again, using, you know, 
over 8,500 hygienists and what their behavioral patterns are, we can actually use, I'm not going to say artificial intelligence or machine learning, Mm -hmm. but there's an algorithmic value there that we can use to kind of automate and and balance and regulate our membership. And Mm -hmm. so we we actually have an overnight algorithm that runs, we call it the gardener, because it literally gardens our membership and it detects the transactions that happened that day. What happened? What were the reviews? Did anybody cancel a shift? If they did cancel, what is their percentage of cancellations and things like that? And we have... And then it it sort of balances things because we have elite status and we've got pro status, but we also have probation and blacklisted and revoked and things like that. And Mm -hmm. we have this this self-balancing algorithm that really helps to to manage. And as soon as we implemented that, it was a long time coming and a lot of work and a lot of testing. But literally the day after we implemented that algorithm, the percentage of dental offices that reported being very happy or happy with their hygienist jumped by something like 17% okay. just overnight yeah. based on based on us managing the the membership better and it's important as it grows when it's small you just deal with the fires but as you start to scale up mm-hmm. the, the fires scale up too if you're not really mindful about it yeah and it's like what you mentioned earlier that word of mouth is probably one of your most important referrals that you really you really want to make sure that there's not too many of those fires uh, burning that Absolutely. possibility basically yeah. yeah yeah all right actually now that you mentioned uh, you talk a lot about the you mentioned a lot the word members mm-hmm. am i to deduct from there that your revenue model is also membership based could you tell us a little bit about how does tempstars run well so i'll admit we use the term members as a community driving term. Uh-huh. So any hygienist or dental assistant that joins, we consider them a member of Tempstars. It's free for them. They don't pay any membership fees. They don't pay okay. any sign-up fees or anything like that. And again, it so there, there's not an actual membership fee. Uh-huh. Dental offices pay on a per-transaction basis. And so they'll post a shift or post a job posting. We have a, a neat little token-based resin. So for our job board, where it's permanent and contract hires, we sort of we sell these what we call resume tokens. So somebody applies and we give them upfront information about the candidate, but not the contact information. And so if we tell them this is a five-star rated hygienist and they've completed 75 shifts and they have worked at your office before and you really liked them, Mm -hmm. would you like to spend a resume viewing token to view their resume to set up an interview with them? And the tokens are $18. So we don't even really charge that much for that. All right. And we don't charge to hire. So a traditional dental agency will charge $500, $1,000 to find and hire a hygienist. So we don't charge any finding or hiring fee that way. And then from a temping standpoint, we just charge one small flat fee for a completed temping shift on a per day basis. Okay. Oh, wow. That is really, that's an interesting, interesting model. How did you come up with the token model? Uh, To be honest, I don't know. I I don't know if there was an inspiration for it other than I knew. So the traditional dental agency of finding somebody for an office and charging exorbitant amounts and then Mm -hmm. sending an invoice to that office to say, okay, you hired Jane for your office. Here's an invoice for $500. Please pay us. But then the dental office says, oh, you know what? She didn't work out. We had to let her go. Well, what can I, I'm not paying this invoice. And then, Mm -hmm. so there's, it's not, that's not scalable and automated. So I guess I started off with the concept of we have to be able to monetize on our job board in a way that doesn't require us to be back and forth checking on things. No, no, no. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm I'm not familiar with the industry. So I'm wondering, like, uh, maybe this is a silly thought, but are you worried that at some point or well, maybe not worried, but is there maybe some kind of conflict with your basic business model, which is really about temping and then the Mm -hmm. job board? Have you how do you how do you see that potential friction? Yeah, well, again, we kind of operate on a scalable, automated, 
essentially high margin model where mm-hmm. we, we go on volume and high margin types of things. So certainly when we think about maybe a hygienist works at a dental office and the office loves them, they say, oh, we want to hire you. We don't monetize off of that. Mm-hmm. We get money for the temping shift, but then that person just gets hired. So we're able to just kind of be happy for the match and ensure that uh, our job board is making connections and the temping is making connections. I'll tell you, and I know there's always that topic of disintermediation. And mm-hmm. you're right that if you're thinking that somebody could post a job for a permanent hire, get a resume, and then call the person saying, can you come in for a temping shift? So there's that that could happen. And maybe that does happen a bit. We do work off of a lot of the honor system. And also the hygienists are very, we have a system for hygienists to be able to manually enter shifts that have been through direct connection. So mm. they do use that a lot. We probably get some leakage, but we we really do kind of mitigate it by providing or showing the value of staying on the platform and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily too worried about that. I was just more thinking that coming back also to what we discussed about the quality, of course, that like mm-hmm. you have a, with, by operating a job board, you have a risk that sort of like say the cream of the crop of the temp mm-hmm. supply gets hired, and and so you would you would have a sort of well a cycle where you would always need to replace the, the good ones because they might get hired if you enable hiring. Yeah. Well. A traditional agency would 100% worry about that because mm-hmm. they would want to charge $1,000 for their top hygienist to get hired because that office is hiring away a revenue generator for them. Mm-hmm. But the way that we operate is it is just sort of more community-based where people just join, they use us as much as they want, they're off, they have mm-hmm. ways in our automated gardener will give them their pro and elite status if they earn it and deserve it. Somebody might get hired away, but then it doesn't work out at that office, then they're back to 10 stars and they still of have course. their elite status and things like that. So. Yeah, and maybe yeah. it's just also a weird, like, pre- or what's it called, like a, a weird premise on my side to assume that temporary workers are just workers who want to have a permanent job, but there might be many reasons why they want to remain temp. So, so maybe 100%. That, that's yeah. true. Yeah, like I said, not familiar with the industry. It just immediately popped into my mind. Yeah, like, hey, yeah. doesn't isn't this conflicting? Right. You mentioned earlier about a rapid development loop because I'm still uh, coming mm. back. You know, the, the podcast is brought by ShareTribe, who uh, yeah. where we sell uh, marketplace software. So could you tell us a little bit about how it went? Uh, because we covered really nicely your first, well, you, you don't call them failure, but uh, mistakes, small mm-hmm. mistakes. Then the MVP. How did it How did it grow from there? Like, how did you move on? How did you take the learnings? How did you communicate with your full stack developer? How do you decide on right. uh, what's important? Because of course, you already mentioned that like initially it seems there's lots of imaginary problems. So could you talk us a little bit more still about the process of coming to a platform where you would kind of be happy with? Yeah, for me, what was incredibly vital and valuable and serves me every single day was all of that learning I did about my own you know, full stack web development, database architecture, rapid prototyping, Mm -hmm. all of those things, because I'll try I mean, as if I'm interviewing a new developer, a new coder, they can't pull the wool over my eyes because I know how our code system works. And I designed our original database architectures. And Mm -hmm. so I know how things work. And if they, if I'm interviewing someone and they say, oh yeah, that would take me 24 hours to do. And I would say, are you sure you understand what we're talking? And so it Mm -hmm. helps me vet and especially for when I'm working with freelance or gig economy type of coders or developers or mm-hmm. things like that, it's really helped me steer clear of the landmines that you can run into. Because if you don't know anything about coding or development, you will certainly step on a landmine somewhere. Mm-hmm. But the other way that serves me is I directly communicate with our coder every day. Andrew's our developer. He's in the Ukraine. 
and I build our own prototype. So if we're specking out a feature and we're very much of that listen and respond. And so mm -hmm. we're, we're always listening to the members. We have our head of member experience doing outreach calls to people who are using us to see how we can improve it. We're always getting feedback. Then yeah. we come up with our product roadmap. I do the prototyping I, and I just really like doing the prototyping and I do a narrated mm -hmm. video for our developer to say, this is how it should work and this is what it can do. And I spec it out. So yeah. even, even now, I still act very heavily as product manager of the development. And it's a really, it's a role that I'm really plugged into because I'm, I'm so in tuned with the people who are using our system. And also I have yeah. some technological background and I can have conversations with Andrew to say, Hey, what if we did it like this? He's like, Oh, that's going to take long. We'll have to do that. And I at least know enough to say, well, what if we just approach it this way? If we put a column in the database and you can do it that way. And he says, Oh yeah, we could do that in two days. So yeah. that kind of thing helps because I'm, I'm not disconnected where I'm, talking to an account manager who then has to talk to the development team who has to get back to us next week to know if we can do that and it's going to cost yeah. this much and take this much time. So we're so dynamically responsive. We, I think we released 12 updates since COVID only responding to the needs of dental professionals during the pandemic because we okay. had to keep changing and building trust. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because maybe a dental office doesn't have the right PPE in place or the right protocols in place. And we needed ways to help our hygienists and assistant members feel comfortable going into offices they didn't know to know that they'd be safe. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. That rapid development loop sounds like a really good strategy. Of course, not feasible maybe for everybody, but how do you see that? Because uh, you can do a lot of this, like you said, because you know, of course, you worked in Canada as a dentist, you know this quite well. How do you see, uh, you mentioned already you started in Pennsylvania. I've understood from reading a little bit about them so that you have bigger plans for the U.S. Is there anything different in the U.S.? Like, do you, would you need to change anything on your marketplace to make it successful? Mm. I would say that the theme that we're aware of that's different than Canada is corporatization of dentistry in the United States is certainly more broad. Mm -hmm. uh, in, so if you can imagine, so dental companies owning say a thousand dental practices as okay. one as one corporation. And so it is a movement in Canada. I would say that there's essentially two prime players in corporatized dentistry in Canada, mm -hmm. but in the United States, it's sort of the go-to. I mean, it seems like as we talk to dental professionals and manage office managers and dentists and things, and certainly corporate dentistry in the United States is more prevalent. And mm -hmm. so we will still 100% be helping and addressing individual dentists and practice owners and things like that mm -hmm. for sure but part of our growth will of course involve working with and building relationships with some of these larger corporations and it's interesting we ended up having a press release in a u.s newsletter and just from that one little release and it was like one little byline in this newsletter that's fairly prominent but we got a lot of even corporate dentistry in the United States reaching out to us saying, when are you coming to our state? We need this. Mm -hmm. This is incredible and that sort of thing. So we know there's a real need for it. And it's just a matter of kind of building these relationships and, and navigating with corporatized dentistry as well as the individual practice owners. All right. And finally, what else is in the future roadmap, both business-wise or technically for uh, Tempstars? Well, right now we're, we're in sort of this our scale up phase of doing more faster of what we're currently doing. So in the short to medium term, we're still be looking at fast, easy temping connections and great hiring and, and candidate uh, matches scaling across North America. You know, I've, I have it down pat, of course, to say that our overall vision and mission is to be the first best and default way that dental professionals find each other for temping and hiring connections in North America. Mm -hmm. So that's, 
that's a that's a big meaty goal and uh that'll that'll keep us busy and excited for the next year or two for sure so that's as far as our horizon sees i don't imagine we have any specific new product offerings or value propositions to offer we're going to be we have a big release coming out in about two months that reduces the friction between the matches that again got inspired from the conversation with the gentleman from air who was who was at airbnb early on oh uh, lenny rosicki lenny yeah because yeah. he had said a big change for airbnb was that instabook feature that reduced the friction and allowed and so that you yeah. didn't have to agree on it anymore that you could book it quickly and and again that episode had a big influence on me yeah. so we're, we're working on a system like that where it doesn't have to be offers and acceptances and, and a lot of friction back and forth but to have faster matches that way oh that's terrific yeah yeah, yeah. actually i mentioned that i was talking to another marketplace or multiple operators from the same marketplace who, and we also were diving into that instant book feature and just sort of retroactively discovering how how big of a deal that was but also how much work actually because maybe the way it came across in Lenny's episode might have been my my way it sounds like oh yeah we just sort of like switched on instabook but there's a really good blog post i believe it's jonathan gold maybe you've come okay. across it or who who was one of the people at airbnb that actually a lot of other pieces needed to be in place before they could switch on Instabook, right? They oh, needed to have the insurance. Yes. Uh, they needed to have some other sort of like trust mitigating thing because okay. of course you need. So that was really, I don't know. I just, I, I think that's the problem always, right? With the way these hacks get delivered. Right. It's like, oh yeah, they just they you know, yeah. added a button, made it green. <laughs> right. But actually, no, this was a really sort of like long-term strategic or I don't know if it's long-term, but like a really well-placed strategic initiative. Right. Well, I hope it will work out for Tempstars. That sounds, I think friction in any of marketplace, there's always too much. If it's still, there's still a lot you can pull out or you can sort of iron out. So yeah, um, I hope it will work out for, for Tempstars. Thanks. I'm going to add one more question. Uh, you can choose to answer it or not, because actually okay, sure. I was I meaning that, but otherwise I'll just say, uh, because this was a good ending and I'll, we say goodbye after that. Okay, sure. Just a question. How did you finance all of this? If I can ask. Yeah, absolutely. It's completely bootstrapped. Okay. I built it up to a certain level. Now, let me correct that a little bit. It was bootstrapped to the point where we we were growing quite well and quite profitably. But at that point, when I was confident relatively confident of our future in, in this bright future that we've got. I do have a small group of dentist friends of mine that I just went to and I said, I've got this great thing. I'd like to grow it faster if you're interested and you want to buy in for a bit. So I did a very, very small kind of friends and family round, I guess, if you will. It yeah. wasn't to get it off the ground. And it was, and it's certainly, we don't even right now operate with any kind of runway or burn rate or anything like that. We're still growing profitably. And it was so at that time of the friends and family round, but it was more of this fire's burning really well, but I'd like to grow it a bit faster. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody was interested in investing, I, I kind of did that small round with friends and family and, and some dentist colleagues and that sort of thing. So that really did help. That was shortly before the pandemic shut down. So it really did help us weather that storm and emerge on top because there was a lot, of, of course, everybody knows there's a lot of just any business and industry sometimes mm -hmm. folded or certainly struggled through it. Absolutely. And, yeah. and so we were able to double down on our marketing and on our support and really be there to offer resources to dental professionals and stay top of mind throughout the shutdown so that when it reopened, we were ready to to uh, really hit the ground running. And it it really, I mean, evidently that it's paid off. We're at an all time, I mean, our bookings and postings and things are at an all time high. So yeah, it just happened to work out nicely that way. All right, thanks. Well, I I, I learned a lot about Temp Stars. Thanks for sharing this. Anything else you'd like to add? Still, 
No, I mean, if anyone listening wants to check out Tempstars, we're at tempstars.com. And I don't mind giving my email if anybody wants to get a hold of me. It's just james, J-A-M-E-S, at tempstars.com. All right. Thanks a lot, James. Thanks for your time. Thanks for reaching out. And uh, also thanks for listening to the podcast. All the best for Tempstars. Oh, sure. Honestly, it's been a thrill to be on here. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. And as I mentioned to you, I listened to the entire season three times back to back. And I just, you're doing great work. And the interviews are so helpful and useful. So I really appreciate being on. Thanks, James. It's lovely to hear. Let's end on that one. Thank you for listening to Two Sided, the Marketplace podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe. If you listen on iTunes, we'd also love for you to rate and give us a review. If you got inspired to build your own marketplace, go visit www.sharetribe.com. It's the fastest way to build a successful online marketplace business. Until next time.